I teach classes now for people on healing grief. And what is healing? I, I use it in context from A Course in Miracles because that's generally what I teach from. And healing is peace, peace of mind. A healed mind is a mind at peace. Mm -hmm. And so healing with grief is having peace with the grief, yeah. which means that you're not judging it. So mm -hmm. you're accepting, mm -hmm. like accepting that it's there and that's okay. <laughs> Hey everybody! Well, that felt loud in the headphones. Uh, welcome to No Small Thing, the podcast dedicated to helping you live a less certain and more curious life. I'm Scott, and I'm Mace. Welcome to episode 138. Bam, bam, bam! Mindful grieving. Yes, mindful grieving with Jesse. With Jesse Brune Haran. This is Scott's pal from high school. They've known each other since <clears throat> high school. Yeah. Uh, Jesse was a good friend in high school and everybody, this is really cool that we have this platform to give us a reason to have these conversations. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, um, uh, Jesse is, uh, I'm going to read a bio of Jesse in a second. Yeah. It'll, it'll get you pretty hyped for this episode. Um, Jesse was in jazz choir with me mm -hmm. <laughs> in, uh, high school. And it's really interesting because, you know, you think about, I don't know, like epic movies where there's some sort of like team and they're all in it together and there's characters like I'm thinking this like was Friday your jazz Night choir. Lights. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we rehearsed every morning for an hour and we were a close group of friends yeah. and we were in it together for like three years. Yeah. And, and we, was it zero period? Zero hour. Oof. Yes. So six thirty ish every morning. Oof. Um, terrible. I mean, I'm a, I'm not a night. I'm a, I'm not a morning person. I'm a night person. So that was really bad. But um, yeah, Jesse was a great friend and uh, um, he's gone on to do lots of interesting other things. So I'm just going to read his bio on mm -hmm. his website. And so this is this is who you're going to hear from today, everybody. Uh, Jesse is a celebrity chef and wellness expert with over 15 years of experience. Oh, snap. <laughs> so he's the director of something called the Fed Collective. That's F-E-D Collective, the Fed Collective, um, like kind of feeding yourself. Hmm. So go to the Fed Collective to find out more about Jesse and the work that he does. But this is his bio, which is a pretty cool and interesting bio. Jesse's a celebrity chef and wellness expert with over 15 years experience. He's co-starred in three seasons of Bravo's workout, two seasons of food networks, private chefs in Beverly Hills and four seasons of owns Emmy winning homemade simple. His expertise has been featured in multiple media outlets, such as Huffington post, men's health.com, us weekly, okay. Magazine out magazine, the advocate and life and style. Additional television appearances include E's Academy Award, Red Carpet Special, The Doctor's Home and Family, Marie Access Hollywood, and The Bonnie Hunt Show. Holy cow. This is the most serious bio I think I've ever read on the podcast. This is such a, this bio is true for him, but I also just feel like the vibes on this podcast were very down to earth. Oh yeah, this is not. In a lot more around spirituality. Yeah, this and this doesn't read that way. True, true. <laughs> yeah, this I guess what I would say if you're listening to this bio and you're like, wow, that's a lot. And it just, just know Jesse is a spiritual minister, pastor person and is much more about, well, he's about these things too, but 
the spirit of this episode is about mental health and grief mm-hmm. and it's really uh, tender and sweet and um, real and down to earth. Um, and I'm going to keep reading this bio <laughs> mostly now it's become, I, I haven't read through this. So now I'm kind of like, Whoa, Whoa look at this. <laughs> He's been a, sp- I'm just like, what? I mean, I know Jesse was on uh, the food network and Bravo. Jesse, if you're listening to this, I, I hope you're not, surprised that I'm surprised by this bio. Now now it's become fun because it's going to keep going. <laughs> He's a spokesperson for Nair for Men, Soy Joy, and the Western Pistachio Association. He's done online product promotion for the Procter & Gamble and the Family Dollar. Listen to this thing. It keeps going. Professionally, he's worked with Katy Perry, Ryan Seacrest, Kendra Wilkinson, Allison Sweeney, and John Robin Bates. To name a few, he's a featured expert in Allison Sweeney's The Book, The Mommy Diet. What? He co-hosted Alternative Styles, a lifestyle podcast produced by Westwood One Media featuring various life hacks and empowering interviews with outlier women along with his bestie, style expert Allison Dayette. He's the co-founder of Inspire Spiritual Community, a Los Angeles-based nonprofit organization serving the LGBT plus community and allies. Jesse facilitates meditation training and conflict resolution for corporations and meets privately with clients as a counselor and coach. He has been a guest at... He has a... (laughs) He has been a guest teacher presenter at various universities in Southern California. Jesse recently joined the LGBTQ plus advisory council for the LA Sheriff's Department and has been recognized by the LAPD for his community leadership efforts. He lives and loves in Los Angeles with his husband, Christopher, their two kiddos and scrappy dog. If you were wondering if he was an Enneagram seven, we have it confirmed that he is. (laughs) He is an Enneagram seven and he didn't ask me to read that bio. I just clicked on it and thought it might be helpful. He, he essentially just asked us to say, check out the Fed Collective, which is a joy-fueled lifestyle destination. Mm-hmm. So go to the fedcollective.com. But man, that, that was sort of fun to read that bio. <laughs> it was. And I'll just say, just to prepare people for this episode, we really like, it was true, no small thing meandering vibes. Like I feel like we got... Mm-hmm to get to know Jesse on a very um, intimate level. So all of those pieces of Jesse have created this, I don't know, very wise spiritual person who has a lot to say about awareness and being present and how to be mindful in life. But I mean, he specifically is talking about grieving and it's a very tender topic. And I, I'll just say I felt pretty like honored that he would be willing to share with us his story and his wisdom And I feel like it really was like a no small thing conversation. And it really was like, this is really no small thing. And as he was talking, I was sitting with how important it is that we talk about things like grieving and mourning Mm -hmm. head on. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, that's kind of what this is going to be about. Yeah, Jesse has some really great insights and advice, I guess, and tips those sound trivial and trite, those words, but, um, on grieving and getting through grief or not getting through, but, um, moving through grief, Mm -hmm. embracing peace. Yeah. Making peace with grief. And I will just say for a no small thing episode, this one is pretty emotional. Like Jesse was very, he didn't want me to use the word vulnerable. Uh, Uh, what did he want? (laughs) I forget. Honest, honest, open with his story. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, uh, the 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 reflections on grief come from a very um, profoundly tender and sad place for Jesse. So 
just know that the the tone of this one is especially at the very beginning pretty sad um and heavy um but it was it was amazing how open Jesse was to share that mm-hmm. so I'm really excited for you all to listen to this one. I think it's very helpful and I was so glad Jesse did this with us um very grateful I agree, and I think we talked about it a bit in the episode, but just this year has been a year of profound grief and mourning. Yeah. So I think that we all have places where we could be more mindful in our grieving and mourning mm-hmm. um, in a myriad of ways. So I feel like this was a really good kind of intentional looking towards it and not looking away, yeah. um, which is, I mean, what we're all about. Like, let's be curious about this and honest about this aspect of life that really is no small thing. You can't just walk over it, you know? Well said. So we hope you like this, uh, this episode, everybody. Yep. Um, and a uh, quick plug. If you like no small thing, um, give us a rating and review. We're on Instagram. Follow us at no small thing. And you can talk with us, DM us right in the comments. Um, we like to really chat with our listeners. So check us out there. And yeah. That's that was my short plug. Perfect. <laughs> uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, and here is our interview with Jesse. Okay, Jesse. Uh, we are here with my friend, our friend Jesse Broom, uh, here to talk about mindful um, grieving, which is sounds just like a very relevant and helpful topic for anybody right now. Super uh, fun one. Super fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like what, what, um, why, why is this important to you? How did this come up for you? Well, I'll tell you my story, which I suppose qualifies me to stand as an expert in the field of grief or mindful grieving. Um, and it was around a very personal family experience. And um, I mean, I guess I'll start at the beginning, um, even though I could talk about this forever, it seems funny sometimes to try to wrap your story up in, mm-hmm. you know, uh, in a beat. Mm-hmm. But um, I will say that I always had the impulse to build a family. And my husband jokes all the time that on our first date, I asked him, are you interested in marriage and kids? Which he was never asked before, needless to say, especially on a first date. Um, But at that point in my life, I knew what my goals were. I knew what my desire was. And I wasn't necessarily interested in partnering with someone who didn't share my goals. Hmm. And... um, but a year later, I proposed to him. A year after that, we got married. A year after that, I was teaching a spin class in LA. And one of my students came up to me and introduced herself um, and said that she was a social worker and she worked for an organization that was looking to partner with same-sex LGBTQ families um, that were interested in doing foster to adopt. Um, and I, it just so happened at that point, I was really ready to explore adoption. Both my husband and I knew that was the path we wanted to take. Um, and I said, you're talking to him. I was also, um, simultaneously, uh, running a spiritual center for LGBTQ plus people, um, that, uh, we, we started 
by meeting in gay bars on Sundays. And the, uh, it kind of just grew. And at that point, we were in our own center. And so I said, why don't you come and speak at um, the center and uh, have a table set up and then people that are interested can learn more. And um, I was interested and I wanted to learn more. (laughs) So (laughs) come to my center. Exactly. (laughs) So uh, she uh, invited me to like an open house thing at um, her organization, which was called uh, Vista Del Mar. And um, they told us all about foster to adopt. They told us about adoption, how it was different and how it varies just for people who are curious, foster to adopt means that you um, open your house up to foster children, children that have been removed from their biological family for some situation, for some reason. And um, if through the process of uh, the courts, through the process of the foster system, if they cannot be reunified with their family or a reasonable family member, then that child will be eligible for adoption. And after that time, you would like to adopt them, then you are the first in line to become the adoptive family. So um, I didn't quite get the whole concept, which probably was a good thing, because had I known what the process was really like, I'm not 100% sure I would have done it. Mm -hmm. Because um, I knew that I wanted to have the experience of... um, uh, taking care of an infant, having that like from from the beginning experience, and in order to do that with the foster to adopt uh, process, you have to sign up for something called emergency placement. Hmm. Um, so, to if if an infant goes into the foster care system, they need placement immediately. Hmm. So that means you'll get a call at noon that says, "Listen, an infant has become available. These are the situations. Are you interested in bringing them in?" And, you know, you have to kind of throw all of your political correctness out the window if the goal for you is adoption, because you have to listen to the situation. You have to get as much detail as possible. And unfortunately, the worse the details, the more likely it is that this will go to an adopt an adoption um, process. Mm. And um, so it's just really weird, like rodeo we we were in for um it took us about eight months before we were fully ready Hmm. but um after that time we were fully certified as foster family and one afternoon we got a call and the call was um about a beautiful little baby boy that was just born um he was exposed to drugs um but he was showed no signs of any sort of developmental issues or Uh, health issues, nothing like that, perfectly healthy. Um, He had six siblings that were all, had all been adopted out. Um, Same mother, she was 27 at the time. Um, And she uh, was tested positive for drugs during birth. And so they had to remove the child from her care. And so we talked about it and there was a really good possibility this could go to adoption because the siblings were all in one place the woman who was watching the siblings did, couldn't take on another kid. Hmm. And so we said, yes, we'll bring in the baby. And, you know, it was one of those love at first sight things. This kid was beautiful. His name was Caden. And he was, um, I mean, just the love of our life. It was like instant, yeah. instant, yeah, you know. And for the next uh, 
eight months, we did the process. We did the court dance, you know, the mother, um, did her best, but she just wasn't capable of showing up and doing what she needed to do, uh, for this. And, um, that's okay. Um, we, you know, stayed very open to her. We did what we could to support her, but there's only so much you can do. And, um, we were at the point in the courts where, um, it was eight months. We, we, we'd had Caden for eight months and, um, we were waiting for one, there was a paternity test that needed to happen for somebody that was on the birth certificate, but said he was not the father. Mm. And so if the paternity test came back negative, then we would have officially begun the adoption process. Mm. Um, but during that time, Caden got sick. And uh, it, about a month before he had gotten sick with the virus, and we actually went to the children's hospital and he stayed there for a few days, but it went through him and he came home and it seemed fine. Um, you know, so a month and a half later, he gets sick again with what seems like a stomach bug hmm. and he's not eating. And so we take him to the doctor. They're like, just keep an eye on him, give him liquids, take him home, love him up. So we did that. The next day, he still wasn't eating. He was grouchy. So I took him to the emergency room. They sent me home. They're like, just, he just wants a daddy's. Give him some food, make sure he gets some liquids. He'll be okay. And then a day and a half later, he was irritable. He wasn't sleeping. He just wasn't eating. And um, I, it was, I remember it was the um, morning because my husband was going to work. And he's like, just go to the ER. He's like, go there. He goes, if nothing else for you, just so you feel better, you know that nothing else, then that, that everything's okay. And so I went in and I was just like, you got to see this kid. You got to look at him. Something's going on. And um, he looked a little dehydrated. So they're like, okay, let's bring him in. They were shifting um, from the night staff to the morning staff at that time. So there was a little delay. So we were just hanging out in a room. And uh, the nurse finally came in to take some blood. And when she was doing that, we were just talking. I looked down at him. He just took these big gulps of air. And I just looked at him like, why is he breathing like that Mm. and then it just it just like everything changed Mm. she she looked at me she goes I don't like this and within 30 seconds uh there was like eight people in the room Mm. I had been moved out of the room they had a mask on him they were pumping air into his lungs and he had stopped breathing and they had worked on him for like they were working on for like 20 minutes I called my husband and I said, just get here. Just get here. I don't know what's happening. Just get here. And he just walked out of his work and was there quickly. A social worker was suddenly standing next to me. And she's like, this is what's happening. Um, that something is going on. We're going to assess the situation. But they revived him. Hmm. And uh, they revived him. And he looked like he was stable. And when it was holding his hand and uh, my husband got there and uh, the head of the uh, pediatric ICU came down, was observing him. And they're like, why don't we just to be safe, bring him up to ICU? Cause there's nobody there right now. And, um, he'll just get really good attention hmm. and we can really just monitor him really closely. And so he went up there, but, um, sorry. Um, within like, uh, 20 minutes, he uh, had gone into cardiac arrest and, um, and uh, 
it was just from that point on, it was 90 minutes of people coming in and out, trying to revive them, trying to save them, trying to do all this stuff. And, and within, uh, you know, an hour and a half, uh, you just heard, you just saw, you just saw like, like unplugging things. And I just knew that it was done. It was over. There's nothing they could do. And, uh, something that they don't, a lot of people don't tell you is when you're, uh, when a baby dies, they wrap them up in a blanket and they hand them to you. Mm. Um, and they hand them to you so you can say goodbye, you know? Um, and they did that. And they're like, you should call who you need to call. And, um, and you can have this room and the next room for four hours. Mm. And I just remember, I mean, I was just, I was just wailing. It just like sounds came out of me and my husband punched the wall and he was like, he just kept saying, I can't handle this. I, I can't, this is too much. And we had to call our mothers and my mom was working. And of course she couldn't keep working. She's a teacher. So they, uh, my sister had to go drive and get my mom and bring her to the hospital. And I always just remember this vision is just like seared in my mind. My mom walking into the hospital room and just her legs giving out on her. And uh, so for the next few hours, our friends and our family came in people took time saying goodbye to him. Mm. And then he, uh, we, uh, we had my, my assistant at the time went to my house and she got this blanket. My mother-in-law had, had knitted for him. And, uh, we wrapped him in that because it felt more like him. And, uh, then they, they took him away. Mm. And, um, I remember right before I left, my sister stopped me and she took something out of my hand. And at that point I was just an autopilot, but I was carrying the car seat and she's like, I'm going to take that because she just knew if I had gotten to my car with an empty car seat, you know, like what it would have just been too much. She's like those little things that have just been too much to handle. Um, after leaving, my instinct was let's not go home. Let's go to a hotel. Let's not, I don't want, I can't be at home right now. I can't see the baby toys. I can't go into the nursery. I can't do it. But my husband encouraged me to do the opposite. And what we ended up doing was we called everyone. We called all of our friends and just everybody came to our house. Our house was packed and there was food and flowers and people crying and people laughing and people just sitting in silence. And we prayed, we just, we were just all together. And it was this really beautiful experience. And I'm so grateful that I did that. Mm. I did that. Um, mm. And I, I'd like to talk about more about the process of grief and healing and not so much the details of what happened, but, um, you know, I will say that, um, you know, within a week we had a memorial service and there was two services, one for us. And then the mother, the biological mother had a service as well. Hmm. Um, and, uh, it was this unreal, you know, those moments where you just are sort of observing your life, fly by, fly by you. Um, and I knew intuitively that I, it was important for me to pay attention, just pay attention and pay attention in the sense of allowing whatever needed to come up for me to come up. And I, I had been through an experience the previous year where my ex-boyfriend had committed suicide. And he was, we were 
we hadn't been together for a decade, mm-hmm. but yeah. he was um, <clears throat> he was really close with my sister mm-hmm. and kind of mentored her. <clears throat> and the police actually went to her house because they lived right down the street from each other after he after they'd been to his his home and asked her to come over to get the dogs and stuff. And so mm-hmm. we went over and we cleared it away. But I remember in that process that I had a day where I just gave myself permission to be sad the entire day. I canceled my plans. I was like, you're just going to stay home and just be sad. And if you need another day, then you get another day. And um, that taught me how important it is to just allow the feelings to come up, to arise, to have residency, um, where often the... um, the not the I wouldn't say the impulse, but the habit is to try to muscle through things, apologize for having a an emotional moment, mm-hmm. um, you know, try to get through something, get to the other side of it as soon as you can, because you know that sooner or later everyone else is going to move on, and they're not going to want to talk about your experience anymore because it's going to make them sad, and and inevitably the conversation will come where someone tells you it's time that you move on, it's time yeah. to move forward. And that's a really challenging um, place to be at for a parent, for anyone that has a loved one that they had to let go of in that way. Um, and then another thing that I was facing as, as a minister um, was, you know, I taught, I taught classes on what happens when you die. What, mm. what, like what, what is the reality of life? Life doesn't begin at birth and it doesn't end at death. It's so much more eternal. It's not this physical experience that we put so much weight upon. And yet I was having this experience where I was like, fuck that. That sounds, that's not helpful at all right now. Like all I want is my baby. I want my kid. And um, so I had that, um, not a, it wasn't like a battle ensuing, but there was this like, this thought of, you know, at least what you believe to be truth, right? And then you have what you're actually experiencing. And how would you help someone that was moving through this now? And does it apply when it's you? And um, so all of those things are present when we are grieving. Hmm. And what I've learned, and since we're talking about mindful grieving, is how to be with it and be okay with it without judging it. Learn to sort of have a playful curiosity, even Mm -hmm. in the moments of despair and um, do what you can to not judge them, but just to allow what is to be. And through this experience, I've, I've, you know, I've really contemplated it a lot. Um, and there are a few things that I now support people who are moving through it that I feel like I can support them more clearly now because yeah. of my experience. Cause it's about, you know, I feel when you have something like that happen, uh, it's, it's with you always. In fact, one thing that we heard, it was just like, you know, those moments where you're just like, I just call them like little God moments where like God's speaking right to you or mm-hmm, the universe mm-hmm. is speaking right to you. And it's at the most random places, seemingly most random <laughs> places, I should say. But my husband and I were watching an interview uh, with Mark Ruffalo. Mm-hmm. 
And his brother was murdered. And I did not know that about Mark Ruffalo. And he was talking about, someone asked about how did you get through it? And he said, I don't know if that's something that you get through. He goes, mm. but you learn to walk next to it. Mm. Mm. That's and, good. And that was when, uh, that was like a light bulb went off. It was exactly what my husband needed to hear mm. in mm. that moment. But for me too, I was like, that's it. It's like, you just learn to have a relationship with it and you learn to walk next to it. And when you do that, then there's no rush to get it out or get through it or whatever. And eventually, usually, but not always, at least for me, the the weight felt lighter and lighter. Mm. And I think because I was open to, uh, to something mystical, I had a couple experiences that were perfectly designed just for me that sort of were the universe giving me a little wink, you know, um, one I'll share. My good friend Barbara passed away two years before Caden did. Mm. And Barbara was this kind of great lady. She was in her 70s, full of life, always tried new things, wasn't afraid of anything. Mm. Um, and she, when my mom moved to LA, she took my mom under her wing and kind of showed her around and was her friend and did stuff with her. And both my mother and I were able to visit Barbara in the hospital before she passed on. Well, uh, it was a couple days after Caden had uh, died. I went to pick up my mom and all our whole family was congregating at my house that day. And we drove past the hospital that Barbara had passed away at. And mom said, she said, uh, you know, I've been thinking about Barbara a lot the last couple of days. And I said, well, that makes sense, mom. You know, when you... Uh, someone you love passes, you think of the other people that you, other people that you love that have also passed. And she goes, yeah, maybe. And mm. like 30 minutes later, I'm sitting on my couch, <clears throat> just sort of zoning out while the people are talking at me. And my mom's <laughs> in the kitchen cooking and I get a phone call. My phone goes off and I look at it and it's Barbara. <laughs> Literally, Barbara, who's been dead for two years, is calling me on my phone. And I'm looking, and we j literally had just spoken about her, mm. talked about her, and she's calling. And I remember looking at the phone and thinking, like, am I ready to answer this? Right. Am I ready? Am I ready <laughs> for what's on the other side of this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's exactly, I was like, and so I answered it as a hello, and it was just static, and then it clicked off. Wow. And. Uh, Holy cow. And I was sitting there and then just hit me. And I said, Barbara has Caden. Huh? Dang. Barbara has Caden. And I went into the kitchen and I go, mom, I was like, look who just called me. And she looked at it and she looked at me and she goes, Barbara has Caden. Mm -hmm. I was like, huh. it is Dang. under control. Like our ancestors have it taken care of. Like, don't worry about it. It's all under control. And, um, a week later I got a Facebook invite from my friend, John, who had died the year before. What? I had a Facebook friend <laughs> invite from him and he was dead. And I had set John and Barbara up on a date. <laughs> wow. And I thought, wow, the elders in my tribe <laughs> are really letting me know they have the situation taken care of. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, that is mystical. Year, mystical. Yeah. It yeah. Was totally. And I feel like, you know, listen, you could logically 
talk yourself out of that if you if you chose to. But, but I choose to believe that the universe is pretty magic, and that you know it'll it'll wink at you if you're open to it. So, um, and what that helped me get to, and I'll end there because I'll just keep talking, and I pray that you guys edit this up as much as you interject. But oh goodness, um, I will uh, I will say that uh, there was it got me to a place where I felt like even though Caden's life was so brief, um, it was perfect. Mm. It was perfect. It was seven and a half months of being absolutely 100% completely enveloped in love. Mm. And he was diagnosed with a rare disease called Kawasaki disease. And it's a disease that affects the heart. So what has happened was the valves on his heart were 10 times the size they were supposed to be. So when he got a stomach bug, his heart couldn't handle the virus. Mm. And he went into cardiac arrest. Mm. And it's very rare. It's usually diagnosed postpartum, especially with children that age. Um, So rare that they didn't even test for it initially, you know. So, uh, but I like to think that he was filled with so much love that his little heart just exploded, you know, Mm -hmm. and he, you know, job well done life well lived. And it was, it was about, I think eight months later, I was sitting, uh, giving a bottle to Victor, who is my adopted son. Now I have two, two boys, um, that we adopted after the experience with Caden. Um, and I remember sitting there rocking him and I looked up and there's this, we had this beautiful framed picture of Caden in our living room. It was just this moment where I just felt my heart so full. Mm. And I just knew, I was like, you had, like, this is you. Like you, you orchestrated this in some way. And I just felt in this way, I just felt him leave. Mm. I just felt like he, like at that point, he just sort of moved on to the next phase of whatever he was going to do. And mm. that, you know, he helped bring these two boys into our home that needed a home. They needed a safe home. They needed a place where they could heal. And uh, and in so doing, they helped us heal as well. Mm-hmm. And um, it just felt kind of perfect. And uh, so I'll stop there because I'm sure you'd like to interject or ask questions or we can actually converse instead of me just talking at you. But, <laughs> I think this uh, is... Ideal though, I mean that, that that's I mean mostly what we want to do is get out of the way of the person we're talking to. But Jesse, I mean, I just gotta say like thank you so much for sharing that story. It's for anybody that's taking care of a kid or a baby, it's the most horrific worst case scenario imaginable. Um, yeah, it's and and you know we uh, the PTSD of it mm-hmm. was something. I think that's part of the grieving process as well. And, um, I mean, the first year of Victor's life, I mean, we were, uh, oh, I, I mean, he slept next to us. Yeah. I was, I mean, I remember just like stressing with such anxiety being like, just, can you just get to 12 months? Because I was so, I developed this thing about SIDS and mm. like oh, yeah. how terrified I was that, you know, and what I realized was I had to heal the, I had to let the past go. Mm. I had to heal it because in a way I was expecting something to happen that was yeah. going to end this because that was my experience thus far. And I realized I have to heal that because I have to create space for something new to happen, mm. a new experience. Mm. Well, I just think you're modeling 
vulnerability and it, it seems as you're talking that you're practicing what you preach and practiced what you preached and or preach. And, and, um, like, I think this Mark Ruffalo <laughs> insight is very good, like learning to walk with it. Um, and it seems like that's what you did because you're not glossing over any of this stuff. Like as you tell it, you're not, you're leaning, you're still leaning into it in a way that feels healthy and vulnerable and tender at the same time. Um, but you also seem to have in, in whatever word you want to use, like made peace with it or yeah. Um, yeah, well, absolutely made peace with it. I mean, cause you have to, Yeah. Mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it is about accepting what is yeah. and um, you know, that's a really challenging thing to do. I remember somebody said to me at one point, no parent should have to go through this. And I remember thinking like, in myself, I'm like, well, that's the least helpful thing anyone's ever said to me (laughs) (laughs) because I am going through this and parents go through this every day. Parents go Mm -hmm. through this. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, there is this, um, there's a great teacher, Byron Katie. I'm sure you've heard of her. She's very popular, but part of her teaching is that the ability to accept what is and that what is is what is supposed to be. Mm. And I remember my uh, teacher telling me one time, it's really hard to accept that in the divine plan, the unwanted happens. And, um, and uh, it is hard to accept that, but accepting it will allow you to have a different relationship with it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I teach classes now for people on healing grief. And what is healing? I, I use it in context from A Course in Miracles because that's generally what I teach from. And healing is peace, peace of mind. A healed mind is a mind at peace. Mm-hmm. And so healing with grief is having peace with the grief, Yeah, which means that you're not judging it. So mm-hmm. you're accepting, mm-hmm. like accepting that it's there and that's okay. Um, David Kessler is a very famous grief teacher, death and dying Mm. teacher. And I took a course of his to help me through the grieving process. And he said these gorgeous things. And one of the examples he gave, which I loved was he would just give different examples of like uh, a public outburst. (laughs) He's Mm. like, let's say, for example, you're in the frozen food section and you open the freezer and you see the pizza that your son loved more than anything and you fall to your knees and you weep uncontrollably in the middle of the frozen food section. He goes, that's what grief looks like. Mm-hmm. He's like, mm-hmm. now let's say you're at Starbucks and you walk outside and a woman passes you with a baby carriage and all you want to do is throw your latte at her head. <laughs> that's what grief looks like. Yeah. And so he would give all of huh. these random experiences saying that's what grief looks like to illustrate the point that it looks, it's going to process and look different for everybody. Mm -hmm. And for some people, you're not going to be able to get out of bed for two weeks and that's okay. And some people you're going to push it down and that's Mm -hmm. okay. And some Mm -hmm. people it's going to come out like, and like my husband and I, we would um, take Caden hiking all the time. And so there's this popular place that we would hike. We take the dog there to get exercise. And so we would go back there and we would just, Every time someone would walk by with a baby, we would just, mm. both of us would just feel it so much, you know? And um, 
and that was part of what it looked like for me. And, and he was more, my husband was more, he like got back to the routine quickly for him. Yeah. He, he went back to work and I, it was less of that for me. Like I needed more time to just like be in my feelings. But I remember, um, you know, I remember one night he got up because every night he would get up in, in the middle of the night and feed him and change his diapers and stuff like that. That was his little ritual with Caden. And one night I remember I woke up and I had just heard him. He had fallen, Chris had just fallen down mm. and he was just in so much pain. And he was just mm. like, just like, just like wailing because that was his, he just, he just couldn't handle the, the pain. But, um, uh, you know, one thing we did that helped us accept this experience was we, we built an altar mm-hmm. and, uh, it has elements of uh, Tibetan Buddhism in it and uh, uh, Cherokee tradition. Mm. Um, that one of my one of my mentors is a Cherokee chief, and she's also a Tibetan Buddhist te- teacher of Tibetan Buddhism. And she said, build an altar and have a canoe on it. Mm. And the canoe is to ha- be a vehicle to allow Caden to to travel from the physical world to the spirit world, and then have like a uh, some rose water on it and a candle that's burning for 40 days. Hmm. And then in that time, place on the altar objects that symbolize Hmm. um, uh, rites of passage that he will not get to experience Hmm. up to the age of 18 to where you would have let him go naturally. Yeah. Wow. So so we invited our friends and our family to do that as well. Hmm. And so... It makes me cry. But like yeah. my mom came and she brought like, um, you know, Christmas is a big thing for her. So she brought a stocking for him. Yeah. And, mm. and uh, I printed up uh, like a diploma. Wow. Um, and I remember I had, I got 12 crayons to symbolize one for each year of school. And yeah. we would just put things like that on the altar. And by the hardest thing was letting the altar go, taking it down because yeah in a way that's what kept him with us mm. or, you know, mm. and every night we would say good night to it before we blew the candle out. You know, we would say, we would talk to him. We would pray for him. We would mm. do that. And in a way taking it down almost felt like a betrayal, mm. you know, mm-hmm. but it was, I think we, we waited a few extra days, but <laughs> eventually we, uh, we did that, you know, and um, yeah, but I, I just gave myself permission yeah. the whole time just yeah. to be like, I get to talk about this as much as I need to. Yeah. I get to feel what I'm going to do. I'm not going to push anything away. I'm going to just be very aware of what rises. Mm-hmm. And another thing I learned, which is essential, uh, is that your grief needs to be witnessed. Mm-hmm. It's important mm-hmm. that your grief is witnessed, which is why I think groups that are formed with people that are moving through grief in some capacity Mm -hmm. um, are so valuable because Mm. you can go and you can share your experience and other people aren't going to call you crazy. Mm -hmm. You can share all the things that, that make you think that maybe I am losing my mind here because you will feel like you're losing your mind Mm -hmm. and have other people not even blink their eye at it and be like, Oh yeah, I did that. Mm -hmm. Oh sure. Yeah, I did that. You know? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I, uh, you know, I was, talking about this with my friend, um, my best friend growing up, uh, she, um, she had to give birth, uh, like she went into labor way early 
and had to give birth and the baby just couldn't just didn't couldn't make it it was too it was just too early but mm-hmm. she uh you know she had to hold the baby and then tell them take take him off the machine and let him you know go in her arms and and she was telling me she goes they asked if i wanted a picture of him mm. and in the moment i thought no that would be too painful to have to look at this and she goes and now i just wish i had that picture because and you know mm. it's very hard for her. she goes i can't remember him she goes, I can't remember his mm. face. And mm. it was the only thing that, you know, so she would, when a baby passes, they give you the option. Of, they'll, they'll put his hand print in uh, clay for you mm. and his footprint in clay and have a little snippet of their hair. Um, and you find yourself holding those things and like holding it and like putting it on your face or smelling it or kissing it or something that seems, you know, like, in any, uh, you would never do it in your right mind in any other way, but yeah. it's like, you know what I mean? It's just things that you do, which might seem strange to you. So it's good to have a community mm-hmm. of people that are telling you, no, it's perfectly normal. Yeah. Totally normal. Because, you know, I think we have all of these ideas of what we're supposed to do, how it's supposed to be. And not to mention then we have our, you know, the inheritance from our family, like how do they tell us how we have to be as people? And then you have different, you know, differing uh, faiths and different ideas and perspectives of the world. And, um, you know, it just, I just think it's so, so helpful to, you know, we talk about like, what is mindfulness? Mm-hmm. Like we're talking about mindful grieving. What is mindfulness? Which is really for me, the ability to be present to what is without judgment you know, to allow what is to be and accept that it is. And so like when I teach mindfulness, like meditation, it's just simply that is the ability to be present. We do that by developing the practice of using an anchor or your breath, some point of focus that you return to. And as you do this process, just observe what arises, whether it be your feelings or thoughts or images, anything. And again, with a sense of playful curiosity, just observe it and then let it go and mm-hmm. then come back to the anchor. And so with grief, I did that same thing. I took those principles and applied it to my grieving process, which mm-hmm. was, I just allowed it to happen. I allowed rage to come up. Yeah. I allowed, um, you know, pain and heartbreak and devastation and sadness and even joy mm-hmm. and mm. and i remember getting to the place mm. where where i felt grateful for the experience i felt grateful for the experience and i felt guilty for feeling grateful mm-hmm. and i just allowed myself to have that experience and not to try to you know categorize it or make it mean anything other than than that but the truth is i am grateful i'm grateful you know, I call Caden my little guru because he taught me, he, he walked me over the bridge from faith to knowing. Mm. Like there are things that you can talk about and teach, especially as like you're, I'm, you're both teaching in some capacity, but you can talk about ideas and principles and, you know, it's faith. Faith is what? Like you're putting belief in the unknown, something mm-hmm. that you can't yeah. see, something you don't actually have proof of. But when you have an experience like this, what this experience taught me is now I know things. Now I know things that <laughs> I only, I, I, 
I had faith in before, but now I really stand up in a place of like, you can tell me whatever you want. Mm-hmm. You're not going to shake me from this understanding, you know, from this, this idea. Like I know some things to be true now. And, um, and I, I don't know if I would have had that experience had that not happened or come to this idea or this understanding, but I do know I, I love my sons, my two sons more than anything. And I uh, probably would not have the experience of, being a father to these kids had Caden not died. And so it is, you know, it's really challenged me as, you know, a teacher of spiritual um, ideas and principles to embody the teachings, to Mm -hmm. expand it. Mm -hmm. And, um, but at the end of the day, and this is what I tell people is if, it doesn't feel helpful, then ditch it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because all of this, all of this is just for our peace of mind. So whatever works for you Mm -hmm. to feel peaceful, do that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do that. And, um, yeah, I'm I'm just not sure if I've taken us completely off course. No, No, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. (laughs) I would be curious. I feel like, a part of your journey is kind of grieving in community and like mm-hmm. grieving alongside your husband and grieving alongside your family. Um, and I guess what's coming up for me is wondering what difficulties come with that. Um, the fact that people grieve so differently um, and you know, how, how is that managing kind of you and your husband's having different grief styles or you and your family or your community. Um, and also I guess what it was like being kind of a, a spiritual figure kind of going through this. Um, people are turning to you and mm, you're kind of on the spotlight. You know, I wonder what that was like. Hmm. Yeah. It's such great questions. And um, first I'll address the uh, issue of grieving in a couple, like having a partner. And cause we did grieve totally differently. Um, you know, it's interesting. The first thing the doctor said to us the first thing after they pronounced him dead was take care of yourselves be gentle with each other a lot of marriages don't make it through this Mm -hmm. and um the second thing they said was you did everything right Mm -hmm. and be if there is anything to be grateful for that the inevitable happened in the hospital and not at home Mm -hmm. because not it's easier to point blame if it happens at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, and so they were able to be there and say to us, you did everything right. Mm. There's nothing you could have done. This was, uh, this was a matter of time. This happened. Mm-hmm. So you wow. didn't do anything wrong. And, um, so, uh, so that helped. That was a blessing for us. Yeah. And, you know, um, I love my husband and he loves me very much. And um, we just were able to take care of each other and we do grieve very differently. But part of the mindfulness element of it is I was aware that he was going to grieve differently than I was. And I was aware too that I was going to be upset at him for the way he was grieving and vice versa. And I had to be okay with that as well. Mm, Wow. And so I would observe myself get upset and then I would do, you know, I would do take an action that allowed me to give him his space hmm. because I realized that was part of it too. 
I one, I allowed myself to be upset. And I also allowed myself to acknowledge I'm upset because he's not doing the way something the way that I want him to do and, you know, so on and so forth. And so, um, and again, listen, I went into this experience with tools. Thank mm-hmm. God. My experience is going to be different than other people's. Like I've devoted uh, the, the majority of my adult life to counseling other mm-hmm. people, mm-hmm. learning how to support myself, learning how to work with my thinking, developing meditation practices and other practices to uh, support my thoughts. And my, like, that's, my, that's sort of my career path. So, and my husband uh, also, we're both sober. We both have um, the 12 steps uh, programs uh, like ingrained in us. Mm-hmm. He knew enough to keep very close to his sponsor to work with people. Uh, we both are advocates for mental health. So we were very proactive in the sense of if we felt like we needed to process something, if we felt like we needed to do something, we got help and we, we leaned on people. We weren't afraid to do that. Um, so that was really helpful for us. Um, I would say that most people would probably say that we got back into the foster to adopt game too soon. Mm. Uh, and I did that mindfully as well, knowing like this could be my grief this could be me just missing my kids so much that I'm doing this again just to have the physical presence of a child in my home again. And uh, and even after thinking that, I, th- I thought, yeah, but who cares? What if? <laughs> what, what if, you know? Like I, I talked to mothers that had lost a child that got pregnant almost immediately after the, the child had gone and there was guilt there. But she's like, and who cares? You know, like, mm-hmm. and whatever, I'll process th- that way as well. There's no right or wrong way to do it, you know. Um, now, grieving in the community, I had a very interesting experience with that because I was the director of an LGBTQ plus community. And the majority of my uh, congregants, the members of that community, weren't going to have kids. And so Caden was like the mascot. He was like Mm. everybody's baby. Mm. And so a lot of people were grieving this experience. And um, because of that, I talked about it a lot from, I wouldn't call it the pulpit, but like the pulpit. You know, uh, in my teachings, I addressed the shared experience we were having and my experience and and the process of healing and and, um, all of it you know, together. And I've always been very, Scott said vulnerable, but I, I, I don't, I don't like the word vulnerable. Um, uh, I always say just transparent because I don't think there's anything out there that can harm me by being, and I think the more that we are transparent with each other or vulnerable with each other, we realize we're all having a shared experience, Yeah, different characters, different, whatever, but the shared experience. So, um, so it was a ve- it was a very public grieving experience I had, um, and you know it was these people in my community that that came over that night that organized the memorial service that made sure all of our needs like made sure that we weren't leaning on uh, that we weren't having anyone lean on us that they were taking all of it they set up the food chains they set up mm-hmm. all you know, like all this sort of stuff 
um, and just really took care of us. And for me, the most challenging part was allowing myself to be taken care of. Mm. But again, I kind of knew now's the time to do that. I don't, I don't have to be a hero. I'm not going to try to be a hero. I'm going to allow myself to be present to what's happening here. And, um, and again, my willingness to just be present, my willingness to invite the grief in, to welcome it, not resist it, not push it away, not run away from it, um, allowed me to be uh, uh, more open to that kind of care. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the nice things about being, being um, present with your own grieving and your own emotions. And I love this too, of just like also being present to the gratitude and all the things that were coming up for you. And then if you can do that for yourself, it seems that you can also do that for others and make space for other people's grief and feelings and processing and thoughts and not be so judgmental about those things too. Oh yeah. There's, I mean, there's not much that I, would judge people by, I think in healing any of my shame, um, I've been able to, to be open, to be a safe space for people to explore their own shame. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so we can heal that. And I think that kind of transcends into <clears throat> the emotional experience that I had during the grieving process and being able to be a space of just complete openness and non-judgment for people so they can have that experience and, I mean, it's been really wonderful, um, and people have gone through it. I, I mean, I had uh, I'm just working with a mother who lost two uh, of three of her children, mm-hmm. um, one from an accident, the other from suicide, mm-hmm. um, and you know, uh, just different experience. People are just going through it. I mean, it is just really, really intense. I have to pitch to you. Um, oh, please. Do you guys know? Uh, the Midnight Gospel oh, on Netflix. Oh, I love The Midnight <laughs> Gospel. It's my, my, my favorite thing. <laughs> my favorite thing. So that episode, uh, the last class I taught on healing grief, mm. I had everybody watch the that episode with his mom. Oh. It's huge. Because I just thought that was like such a beautiful, that is what we're talking about. That yeah. episode yeah. embodies mindful grieving, mindful dying Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. to such a beautiful, beautiful and it's such a beautiful way. It's um, such a genius level creation. I'm just like <laughs> the, the way they created it and the the way they pace it and the way they, I mean, first of all, just the fact that they had captured that conversation and then were oh. able to illustrate it in the way they did uh, where he's like giving birth to his mom and, you know, they're turning into planets and it's uh-huh. just beautiful. You know, she, uh, she died three weeks after they recorded that wow. conversation. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Wow. But to think like, oh my God, I want to be that joy filled when I die. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to be that, I want to be that unattached, you know, and the way she did it, the way she, she said, I never looked better because I've embraced living and dying simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you really think about all of the things you don't do out of a fear of death, Hmm. it's pretty, I mean, and I, I, I dare say things that, you know, things that you could take a stand for that you don't take a stand for because of the fear of death. Um, it's staggering. So to be able to like real, that's courage. Mm -hmm. I think that's real courage is to embrace, 
embrace that. Um, it's really beautiful. And a similar story I have is a friend that was diagnosed with breast cancer and she was really committed to healing it without medicine. She wanted mm. to go do it all holistically, all through her mind, but she kept meeting fear about losing the relationship with her daughter mm. who at the time was 15 mm. and the fear started becoming so big that she decided to do chemotherapy because she said, I had to take the most peaceful, peaceful path for myself mm-hmm. at that time. And then it was, I had to just do the chemo because I wasn't ready to let go of my relationship with my daughter yet. And I just felt that it, it felt more of a sure thing for me in that way. And I thought, that's a really beautiful thing. Like, again, it's just the elimination of the judgment mm-hmm. about mm-hmm about something, you know, and uh, to be fully present to what is unfolding and what is what you're experiencing as a result of the decisions you make. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a powerful thing. It really is. a powerful thing. And people, some people, you know, we are so um, embedded in codependency that we generally mistake codependency for love, like mm-hmm, codependency mm-hmm. for, you know, like, um, you know, you see it with parents and in, in romantic relationships all the time, you know, like, uh, like that, like, honey, that ain't love. That's codependency. You know, like, like that, that ain't healthy, sweetheart. Like, uh, you know, all of the, the things that we won't do because of, you know, the choices we make because we're afraid of X, Y, and Z, whatever. Mm-hmm. But to, um, how on earth did I get to that? Something inspired me to talk about that. I don't we know. love it. This is this, this is, is the vibe of our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so um, so to be fully. Oh my god! I think. Yeah, no, I, mean, I lost it. I lost it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think isn't that interesting too? You said you said editing earlier, and I think that's sort of a meta element hovering over this entire conversation is um i think one of the one of the things we've mostly thought about with the podcast is not editing very much because we do want the whole experience and there it's 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 funny like um trying to read this book about how to start a business and we we keep we keep like hating the book and it's like (laughs) you don't want to have to make people burn extra mental calories they say in the book and we're like I don't know if that's what we're all about. I think we're saying, you know, especially <laughs> something like this, like, hey, if you're going to enter into this episode with Jesse, you're going to be expected to be present. I don't mm-hmm. know if that is uh, burning extra mental calories, but it's like, yeah, we got to be present to these emotions and these thoughts and the meandering and even being like, it's okay if <laughs> we if we forgot our point in the mm-hmm. middle of the thing. <laughs> that's being present to that too, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, in the early days, people were like you got to make this short and snippy, and I almost feel like it's similar to the way we process grief. Like it's like I've got to be able to ha- grief on my morning commute, and it's thirty minutes, and I grieved, and I'm done. And it's like it's just saying that's not how it works. Um, oh no, I mean, you you really have to look at like <clears throat> you know like the the gender roles in grief too, like what mm-hmm. you're expected to take on and. Um, I mean, it's just, it's all wacky. I mean, you start to see, you move through something like that and you start to see the cracks in all the ideas. Like yeah. even like the business mm-hmm. book, like like you don't want them to have to burn extra brain calories or whatever. Yeah. 
And, and the real power, uh, real power for me is the ability to say, um, is that true? Right. Yeah. Right. You really ask her, like, is that true? Like, yeah. is that true? Or what do I want? Like, mm-hmm. like, you know, like as creative beings, because that is what we are. I really mm-hmm. stand in that for us. Like we are creating our experience mm-hmm. and um, the world that we are seeing out here is a direct reflection of the world we're experiencing in here. And so like, I always ask myself, is that true? Having kids is the, the best yeah. way to like, I mean, gender right now is such like a fabulous template for us to look at like what we think is true (laughs) and what like, oh, this this is what you're supposed to do. This is what you're not supposed to do because I have two little beings that were born with penises Mm -hmm. and one is like, he's just like sensitive and creative and, but smart, likes to build and, but is like, just likes to, like you would think of uh, how a little boy would want to dress, sweats, dirt, all that stuff. And then I have this um, another one who is um, like bi- like a little bigger, you know, like like uh, more uh, not audacious is the wrong word, <laughs> but, just, uh, but he is audacious. Uh, <laughs> but he's just got this big personality. But would like he'll beat up on the other one, but we'll do it in a gown. Like he just yeah. wants to wear a dress. <laughs> First thing he wants to do is he wants to put on a dress, and then next, then he'll play, you know, and he mm-hmm. he likes to be beautiful and he like he's he'll watch like he'll watch like beauty and the beast and whenever bell comes on he'll be like that's me and my other son will be like well he'll see gaston and be like that's me and i'm like and we are not we are in no way whatsoever like we're just allowing them to like find their way Mm -hmm. and when they find it when they indicate we like make things available that they might be interested in and it's just like they're so like they're so it's uh, you just realize like oh my god like we push mm-hmm. shit on kids so much we do that um that it, it's crazy it's really crazy how much we, we we put on kids and ideas and then we take them on and then we mm-hmm. you know and then we get all fucked up because we think we're weird because we want to dress a certain way or we want to express right. a certain way and so the same principle, like how you do anything is how you do everything, right? So the same principle applies to grief. Mm. Like, oh mm. no, this is how a man is supposed to grieve. Mm-hmm. Right. And this mm-hmm. is how much time you're supposed to have. And yeah, like, my work is giving me a week off to grieve. And then I need to get back to work and get out, get to it. And I'm like, it was year. I had to talk about my baby dying for years yeah. before I just mm-hmm. felt at peace with that. Yeah. And I had to like talk about my baby dying while I was raising other kids Mm -hmm. that I wasn't even sure if I was going to be able to adopt, Mm, you know, like, it's just like, there was so much going on. And, um, and what I realized a year after I illegally adopted my sons, some stuff came up and I'm like, Oh my God, like I got so busy. I didn't complete the grieving process. Mm. Like, like, Oh, there's still some residue there. And I was just feeling it. And, I was, it was, uh, it was just this holiday. I was getting Christmas stuff out and an ornament fell on my feet and I looked at it and it was this little ornament that someone got me and it was a little baby Caden and it Mm. said his name on it. Mm -hmm. I saw it and I was just like done for the day. Mm -hmm. I was just done for the day. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I was like, wow, it's like still like Mm -hmm. still there. And like, and not to mention like just the experience of, the hospital experience. I yeah. Had. Gosh, such a, I mean, talk about P 
PTSD. Like I can talk about my son and the gifts that he gave me. It's when I go back to that moment that, mm-hmm, that the actual mm-hmm. experience is usually when I get emotional because it was, I talked about an experience of being completely out of control, like yeah, yeah. having absolute no control of the situation whatsoever and having to be total surrender of like what is happening. Mm. But, um, and then like, again, and like being okay with that, like, not oh judging gosh. yourself, not shaming yourself. Yeah. yeah. I've heard it's, them. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say it's delicious though. Like <laughs> I really feel like the human experience is so delicious. Like mm-hmm. it's just so full of, it's just so great. I, I, I'm so grateful for mm. this experience and whether I have another go at it, I don't know. Um, I'd like to think hopefully by the time I I'm ready to like, you know, drop this, this body for whatever's next that I, I, I can hit the stamp of like complete good. <laughs> let's, see, yeah. let's see what else is out there. Let's yeah. go play around the stars. But mm. like, um, mm. I, can I just share this? Actually, why don't you say what you were going to say? No, um, I, do, I do not like to cut off. Women. <laughs> I, I like you to. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, I've just heard this analogy that as we we're talking seems fitting as this idea of grief is like carrying a, a rock and some days it's a pebble in your pocket and other days it's like a boulder that weighs you down, but you're always forever going to have that in your pocket. Mm-hmm. So I just, as you're describing this, this Christmas day, it's like, Today it's a boulder, you know, maybe another day it's just a medium sized rock. And sometimes it's a pebble. You don't even realize it's in your pocket, but it's always there um, in different sizes and shapes kind of. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, There was, I mean, I remember the day where I, I couldn't, I couldn't remember, I couldn't get Caden's face in my mind, Mm. you know, and uh, because that, the face had been so, in a, in a way replaced by Victor, who was like the kind of became the, the vision of baby, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. I shared with my husband and he had the same experience. He goes, oh my God, I having the same experience. He goes, I feel like I'm, I'm betraying him. Mm-hmm. And, um, there's so many levels of, of the experience you don't even think of, but, um, yeah, I just wanted to share this story. Uh, and it was, uh, just because, like again like i'm really mindful of i don't want to push my views my beliefs on my kids which is really impossible to do but i do i try (laughs) to do my best at it um but uh my we were just driving and my oldest uh he's you know he's four he said where how did we get here where did we come from how did you how did you and pa- daddy, I'm, I'm Papa, my husband's daddy, he goes, how are you and daddy, how did we come, how did we get here? And I know he's trying to like get the idea of like, like someone's talking about mommies are pregnant, like, like, like there's oh, no mommy. Right. Like what's the, like how does it all work? And we're not ready to have the conversation about adoption or anything like quite yet, you know, um, because, you know, we're very honest, but at the same time, like, there's so much that one can process. We don't want to, you know, yeah. we don't want kids to, we don't want them to take on more than they can chew at whatever. Blah, yeah, blah, yeah, blah. yeah. But I said, I said, well, I was like, what happened was before we came down to the earth, we were all stars and we were a group of stars together. We were a family of stars. And first that came down were grandmas. 
And they said, we're going to go down first and we're going to get things ready for you guys. Hmm. And then when we were ready, you know, daddy went down and Papa came down. And it's like, and then you and Victor were up there in the sky, but you were getting lonely because you were ready to have your family back. And so when you were ready, you came down Hmm. and Victor was the last one, but Victor didn't want to be up there by himself. So he came down and one day, one by one, we're going to go back up and we're going to all be stars again. And we're going to meet each other back up in the sky. And that was me talking out of my ass <laughs> while driving in L.A. traffic, trying to explain how we came together as a family. Yeah. yeah. Because I do believe in con- like there's some sort of spiritual contract here. Like we mm-hmm. on some soul level, we agreed to come together as a family unit. And uh what was great was a couple of days later, uh, I hear Tony in his room with Victor and Tony's, Tony's re-explaining it to Victor. He's like, no, we were stars. <laughs> and see, because they have stars all over their room and stuff. He goes in and see, uh, you were the last one. You got lonely as a star until you came down. And then one day we'll be stars again. But that's where it all is. We're up on, we're all stars. And I thought, you know, I think that's actually, in a way, the most perfect explanation that I could possibly have given given these kids, you know? Yeah, and, I love that. Um, you know, we'll fill in the details later if they want them, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> when it's time, I suggest the book, What Makes a Baby? It's oh, okay. a really good gender-inclusive book for preschool age kids about what makes a baby. <laughs> I was a preschool teacher, so yeah. I'm like, oh, oh I've talked okay. about what makes a baby to preschoolers. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, my mom is my mom's a Montessori preschool teacher, which mm-hmm. has been like a, a god just a godsend this whole yeah. time. Yeah. Another good one, my favorite one is uh, C is for consent, mm, which is been a fabulous book, a great book to read to um to little ones and one for the parents, <laughs> which I read to to Tony, because we really, we I really want to implement, you know, celebrating diversity and mm-hmm. how how valuable it is to celebrate diversity. And so uh, there's this book called Anti-Racist Baby. Oh yeah, I think we have that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, have yeah, yeah. <laughs> fun. Yeah, it's fun, and it's definitely for the parents. But mm-hmm. it just is like this gorgeous sort of overview. Of, it just shows so many different kinds of people. You know, I mean, listen, my kids are growing up in a community with trans people of color that are very prominent and respected and well-loved that they call aunties and stuff like that. Like, it's like, I think we're, we got the diversity box ticked, thank goodness, but, um, done. Yeah, no, no small thing, I guess. Yeah. I don't know how we got to diverse. diversity. No small babies, thing. But yeah. I mean, I, I, there, there's this, uh, theme and we should probably start winding down. I'm, I'm yeah, but, I'm but, um, I like that you talked about even gender, because that's that's something that we talk a lot about on the podcast, and um, similar when Mace came out as gender non-binary, mm-hmm. that was a brand new experience for me, and it is a great opportunity to pay attention to or be open to and curious about the new experiences. And I was even, I, I because I we basically, not basically, we do host a, an affirming youth group with a lot of trans kids or teens. And, um, I was talking to a friend of mine who's all for affirming theology and LGBTQ plus inclusion. And, 
and he, and he was trying to process with me and he's like, you know, this is really great and people can identify however they want, but you have to draw the line somewhere. And he was like, you know, like what if somebody came in and said they wanted to be a vampire? You can't allow that, can you? Like, and I was like, oh, sure. And Mace often says they're an alien. And <laughs> and I'm like, people can be and say whatever they want to be and say. I mean, if it, if it literally meant murdering people and sucking blood out of their necks, then maybe not. But like if somebody wants to identify as a vampire, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I know a couple of vampires. Yeah, right, yeah, exactly. I'm like, of course. <laughs> my, my sister definitely identifies as a witch, um, yep. which is a good thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it really is that like, one, let me just say, sorry, I, I, I gendered you okay. before uh, as a feminine and I apologize. Um, uh, I think that like, because I have so many friends of trans experience and non-binary and queer, just the gift of being in the queer community that, um, but you know, I, it really has just, I just think that the possibilities are endless and you do notice sort of where your growing edge is, especially as a parent, being a parent will show you the, 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 the darkest sides of you um, because out of a sense of, wanting to protect your kid. And yet, like I said, we talked earlier before we were recording, like how grateful I am to be living in a bubble. Mm -hmm. Like I'm grateful that we live in Los Angeles where, where like what, uh, my youngest just started a dance and, um, wanted to wear a tutu. They're like, of course, yeah, let him wear a tutu, whatever he wants. And so I did that and I'm, and I'm mindful to call him even there. Sorry. I'm, Taking a moment. You can edit this part out because I'm literally burping in the mic. Um, <laughs> I'll edit this part out. Okay. I'm going to make but, a mental uh, note. Burps I'm at 107. My, <laughs> okay. I'm doing, I'm doing my best to not gender them. You know, yeah. like um, like the little one, like is definitely showing signs that you know, like that. And who knows? It, what I'm, what's really interesting is like he might be a cis, the coolest cisgendered <laughs> grown ass man um, that is in touch with femininity mm -hmm. and that's cool. Mm -hmm. And like, doesn't care because we didn't shame him or make it bad or anything like that. Yeah. Maybe he likes to wear women's underwear and that's like the one thing that he does. And it's not a sex <laughs> thing. It's a thing he just feels comfortable with. There's so many, it's limitless. Yeah. And we're the only ones that put limit on it. Yeah. And it's our fear of the unknown that makes us behave badly in any situation. And so like, I try to use the word kid as much as possible with my little one. And it's really hard not to use the word like little boy or son, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but I mean, thank God. Like, I, I think we put so much, I think we were so, we're so aware of the wounds, the like the mental and energetic wounds that were uh, given to us by older generations that were so were hyper like <laughs> yeah. aware of it. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, they'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It'd be totally fine because at the base of it, it's all love, and there's nothing. I mean, and we're so hip to it. And thank God, my mom is so like everyone's just like my sister bought him a quinceanera dress mm. that he wears every single day. Mm. We literally had to go get a dry clean because it smelled <laughs> it smelled so bad. But like you know, there's just no, there's like there's no. If he wants to wear a dress, he wears a dress. Mm -hmm. His educators are fine with it. Mm -hmm. We make sure that like if he's gonna wear a dress, that they like he's gonna be wearing a dress. Or like. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. Got it. Like, mm -hmm. because the idea is like, there's no, there's not going to be any. Don't make him feel 
weird about it. And if it does, I have to trust that that's his growing edge too. You know, uh, like, yeah. like there are experiences we go through that help us, you know, become that. And it's, it's again, it's the fear of a parent that will make you behave poorly as a parent because you'll try to protect them when it may not be the best thing for them. You know, mm. like, who knows? It's so layered, man. Life is, again, it's delicious. And the, the, the evolutionary process is so great. Yeah. Dang. Well, it just makes you think in object relations terms, like good enough parent, you know, you're parent. not going to be the parent that, you know, you can't always be providing everything for your kid. Like your kid has to have some resiliency, but if you're a good enough parent holding a good enough holding environment, they'll be fine. They'll develop those resiliency pieces and mm-hmm. know how to handle the adversity. Let me tell you how terrifying good enough just sounded to me. Oh my God. I know. I oh told that God. to my dad Whoa. and he was like, good yes. enough. What best. is this? <laughs> good enough. But it's like, I a, want the best. <laughs> but good enough is actually great. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. I mean, just sorry uh, to scare you. <laughs> good enough. I, I just do love the overall theme of sort of remapping our minds around all these things and, and grief going back to the theme, I guess of just, um, allowing that experience to reshape and remap and retrain how we perceive it's supposed to be done. Uh, but I, I guess there's another little theme hovering over the whole conversation too, which is, I said this before we got on, but like you were the first out gay person that I'd ever been friends with or acquaintances with. And I was just saying it was one of the first things in my life where I was just like, um, I had so much probably inherited passed along homophobia and bigotry in my blood. And it was just a wonderful experience for me to be like, Oh, this is great. Jesse's great. <laughs> you know, it was my first real, like, Oh, I don't think there's any problem here. You know? Um, yeah. Well, and you can imagine like, even with all of that, Scott was still the nicest human oh, being. I'm, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> well, so were you. Even with, even with all the religious guilt yeah. he, was, he was projecting yeah. onto me, he was still like the kindest person ever. I can, um, I can imagine that tension. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah um, I'm not sure how to cap it off. I'm sure you guys will do that cleverly. But we'll come in and come back. For, yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you initiated the, uh, this and that you had the idea. This is wonderful. I mean, I've carried along a, a lot of this wisdom just in our brief sporadic conversations over the last few years of uh, you said that in a conversation I had with you a few t- conversations ago where you just said that a uh, little trick of saying, is this true? Mm-hmm. I think that's a huge takeaway for everybody too. Um, when, when you're oh encountering, God. is this true? Is that true? Is this true? Well, even like, you know, we, we naturally try to avoid things that don't feel good. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I think that if we could, recategorize grief in some way, even the way we hold it. So we don't run away from it. And, you know, we talked like, this is a time of great collective grief Mm -hmm. in many ways. Mm -hmm. Um, Politically, it's never been more amplified and it never has felt like the stakes have been higher politically. And so uh, personal politically that um, there is a group of people that are grieving that the person they believed were was going to, in, in a way, save them yeah. is not in the White House, and th- and they're grieving that because yeah. there was a life, you know. And no matter what our judgments about it might be, uh, there's still that experience of grief. And mm-hmm. 
you know, I was reminded just, uh, I'm, I'm a student and a teacher of A Course in Miracles. And there is a part of A Course in Miracles called the Workbook for Students. And there's, um, it's like a lesson a day for 365 days. And I'm doing this course with, Mar- with Marianne Williamson now, mm. where she does it with you, you mm. know. Um, but I was just reminded about how there's, there's, a, there's a lesson earlier on that says we are not alone in experiencing the effects of our thinking. Mm. And we are not alone in experiencing the effects of um, what we see. And uh, in essence, what that means is we are all connected in, in, in a way. And so even in ways that we can't even imagine, our, the way we see something affects something, somebody else. Um, whether it be like, you know, unconsciously, subconsciously, psychically, however you want to hold it, um, which is, I think, good fuel for us to do the work, the inner work to support an experience of peace so that that's the gift we're giving other people is our peace of mind to support the mm. collective and feeling more peace, more joy. Mm. Mm. Um, and that's, in essence, why a lot of us do that, you know? That's, that's what we get to give. Mm. But at the same time, that shared collective grief, anger, frustration, fear, like that is also shared. Mm. And luckily, I, I, my experience has taught me that the love, the joy, the peace is a much higher vibration. It's more potent. Uh, it does more work. So it takes less people feeling at peace to make a positive impact. Mm. Mm. But they've done, listen, you, there's so many studies you can go out where people have done group meditations, like a certain percentage of people, like it's like 1% of the population meditated at the same time uh, for like a week at this time or whatever. And crime drastically dropped in that area. Uh, I believe you it. Know? <laughs> yeah, like it. there is a shared thing. So so we are, in a way, collectively grieving. Yeah. And COVID definitely has thrown that in. Mm-hmm. And this is of you're grieving your career goals. You're grieving your social goals. You're grieving your friends. You're grieving your routine. You're grieving the things that you wanted to do, things that you liked doing that you can't do. And so there is that out there. And right now would be a really auspicious time to just play with the idea of acceptance and mindful mm. grieving and, and embracing mm-hmm. the grief and say, mm-hmm. and, and exploring like, how do I feel? And if I feel sad, instead of saying, well, let's fix that. Just say, well, okay, sadness, you have the floor. Mm. What is it that you're here to teach me? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what is it that you need? Or just observe it, you yeah. know, without having to immediately go into medicating it or pushing it away. And, um, and if the best, most peaceful paths, for you in that moment is to medicate it and push it away. More power to you. <laughs> uh, the one thing that I'd say um, is that the um, end goal for us all is inevitable. Mm. We will all awaken. Mm. It's free will is the time we choose to get there. So you can either embrace the lesson at hand now or you can push it off. It's fine if you do. You'll get there eventually. Yeah. But just know that mm. you're going to get there. <laughs> the lesson is coming. Man, I, yeah. this has been so great, Jesse. Yeah, Thank really you so much. It. And I do think it's really relevant and timely for our audience, hopefully, and with this collective grieving. Because it's true. Everybody on all sides is grieving. And so um, this is very, very rich and good and delicious, as you say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
It is. Well, yeah. being a human, the human experience is very delicious. And I think it's important that we acknowledge it as such. Yeah. And listen, I'm all about like using the like yummy and like making my, like, you know, letting my, my experience Food be metaphors. a bubble bath. Yeah, yeah, why yeah. not? Yeah, yeah. Like if, if, if we have the option, why the fuck not? Like, <laughs> I mean, you know, like, well, it's like, I'll share like, <laughs> you, get, you get to a point in adulthood where all of a sudden everyone expects you to like, there's all these things that people expect you to have. So you're going to be safe and taken mm-hmm. care of, right? which we know to be a complete, like, and then all of a sudden there's a pandemic and Nana dies from a cough. Like my husband almost died from COVID. He was in the hospital mm-hmm. ICU two weeks. They were telling me to get our, our papers in order. Like, Jeez. and I, yeah, it was a nightmare. I was like, I didn't see that one coming. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but we looked around and I, I thought, I was saying to him, I was like, you know, honey, we were renters, we're not buyers, which blows people. If you really want to mess with people who own property, no offense, Scott, just be like, I'm fine with renting. They're like, but you have to buy, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta buy. Right? <laughs> um, but like, I was like, honey, you know, like we, we have a great, we have on a, we're in a rent control apartment in Beverly Hills. We're in a great school district. Our kids have child care. They go to they go to a private school, we, which we're able to afford because we're renting. You know, we uh, we have health insurance. We're here. Like we've done okay with COVID. Like we have money and savings. Like we're, we eat out if we want. Like it's like we're doing all right. And mm. you know what? We get to choose that. That's a choice to start looking at. Like I'm doing great. We we have prospered through COVID. We thrived. I. You know, like I became a vegan. I've never felt better in my body, except for this one moment because I threw my back out last week. (laughs) (laughs) But like there's so many, we were always gathering evidence to prove our belief systems. Uh, Why not gather evidence? You can choose like my life is working and I'm going to go gather evidence to prove Mm. that theory correct. Mm. And that is a wonderful mindfulness practice dang dang all right i think i'll we'll stop recording but we'll say goodbye to jesse off mic yeah. <laughs> thank you so much jesse and thanks for listening yeah. everybody